0: Well, I trust that we walked through last, last time that we met in the afternoon about that, this list of 30 verses of conscience, in the instance of the word conscience in the New Testament, to try to, to understand... Um, what the New Testament teaches us about conscience. And I trust that you are convinced, as I am, that the idea of the conscience is not a minor one. It's mentioned often, and it's the subject of a significant amount of apostolic ink. It's in there quite a bit. So as we went through those verses last time, you may have noted there are pluses, and minuses. Pros and cons. There are positives and negatives in the way that the Bible speaks about conscience. And positively, I'm not going to cite all the specific references they are on your list. Not, not for every adjective, but positively, listen, positively the conscience can be good. A good conscience in the sense of Blameless. Clear. Probably remember these, these adjectives. A clear conscience. Clean. A clean conscience. Or pure. A pure conscience. Also, positively, the conscience can be cleaned. Cleansed. That is, it can be cleared. You remember the text from Hebrews. The conscience can be According to New Testament Scripture, perfected, purified, washed, purged, sprinkled clean. We saw all those when when we reviewed those verses. But also remember from our list, negatively, the conscience can be weak. The conscience can be wounded. The conscience can be defiled. The conscience can be encouraged or emboldened to sin. There is such a thing as an evil conscience. There is such a thing as a guilty conscience. The conscience, if we remember, can be seared with a hot iron. So before we move on, let's, let's clarify um, something. I believe that in the New Testament teaching, that negatively a weak conscience is quite different from a seared conscience. You you might think that sounds similar, but I believe they're very different. If I understand it correctly, they're almost polar opposites. With the path of virtue, as it often is being in the middle, you know, the Aristotelian way, you've got rashness over here, and you've got over-considerateness here, and then the middle way is the way of virtue. Well, it seems like this is one of those cases. On the one side is a weak conscience. A conscience which is hypersensitive and exercised about irrelevant issues not related to sin and righteousness. Oh no, I drank non-fair trade coffee. I feel guilty. Really? Really? I believe that Scripture describes this conscience as weak because it's too easily wounded. Like a weak man. It's weak. It's weak. So it's easily wounded. And the person with a weak conscience worries about things that are of little consequence. Their joy is lost. And listen, their psyches are drained. In a way, we could say their consciences are overactive like an immune system gone haywire. But do you see that's the exact opposite of a seared conscience? Remember the imagery. Remember when we discussed this. The images of searing and it's, that's intended to invoke the idea of burning and damage and scarring. Do you have any scar tissue on your body? I got a place where I had surgery on my knee whenever I was a teenager. And then later, the place where it was stitched up split open, and they couldn't stitch it again, and so it made a big scar. And I can take a sharp pencil and poke it right there, and it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it's scarred, scar tissue. It's seared. One of the characteristics of scar tissue is that it's insensitive. It's lost its sensitivity. The damaged nerves can no longer feel. So it can be poked, prodded, cut, pierced. And the possessor of the scar tissue may not even be aware that damage is being done. And friend, think about that in the moral sphere. The woman or man with a seared conscience may persist in sin. Their scarred, seared conscience not providing a warning signal to turn away. Turn away. Don't proceed into the fire. I don't feel a thing. Bad. So that's why I say the weak conscience, I believe, is the polar opposite of the seared conscience. These are two, two ends of the spectrum. According to the New Testament, hopefully as we reviewed their, those verses, you saw there's some specific things that a functioning conscience can do. Think about it. A functioning conscience can testify. These are, all, these are all words from our, our list. A functioning conscience can bear witness or confirm. A functioning conscience can accuse or it can excuse. It can accuse or excuse. A functioning conscience can judge. You remember Paul's question? Why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Well, that... that That proves that at least the great Apostle Paul thought the conscience can judge. Yours is judging me. According to the New Testament, a functioning conscience can lead a person to act in certain ways. And this time I will read the scripture references. Because there are specific examples that are given to us. It can lead you to defend yourself based on the witness of your conscience. In Romans 2.15, Paul speaks, this shows the work of the law written in the hearts. Remember, he's talking about Gentiles who don't have the Jewish law, but they still do what's right. And he said, this shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. How do you know that's right? How do you know that's wrong? I just know. Well, Paul explains it. It's written on your heart. God put it there. It can lead you, the conscience, it can lead you to submit to authority even when you don't want to. Romans 13, 5. You remember what Romans 13 is about? Governmental authority. Very disturbing. Wherefore, you must be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Wrath, well, because the cops might shoot you. A good, good reason to obey the law. But you Christians, for conscience' sake, your conscience can lead you to stop asking so many questions. First Corinthians ten twenty-five: Whatever is sold in the market, eat it, asking no question for conscience' sake. Remember the disputes over: Can we eat that? That meat was. Yeah, that's a discount ribeye, but it was sacrificed to Diana this morning. Paul's doctrine is an idol is nothing. If you didn't know that, it would be a good ribeye. Man, it just tastes a little bit off now that I know it was sacrificed to Diana this morning. If any of you that believe not, or if any that believe not invite you, To a feast and you be disposed to go, eat whatsoever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. Oh, this ribeye looks really good. Where did you buy this? Paul says, No. No. So your conscience can lead you to stop asking so many questions. Your conscience, listen, your conscience can lead you to suppress your own liberty. Listen, your conscience can lead you to suppress your own liberty for the good of another. 1 Corinthians 10.28 But if any man say to you, this is offered in sacrifice to idols, eat it not for the sake of him that showed it to you. For conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Not for your conscience sake, I say, but for his I didn't even ask. And they said, we got these great rabbis down at Diana's temple. Oh, hmm. We went through all these verses before. So. But you see, here's some things that your conscience can do. It can judge. It can, it can lead you to defend yourself. It can lead you to stop asking so many questions. It can even lead you to suppress your own liberty for the benefit of another. The lexicon defines sunidasis, conscience, as the inward faculty that distinguishes right and wrong. And that's helpful. But listen, more personally, I believe a, a more functional definition is the conscience is your, you, your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. Your conscience is your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. And I believe that this is what um, C.S. Lewis called the Tao, if you've read his Abolition of Man. And I don't just believe that because of Lewis's essay, but Michael, I'm probably one of the biggest C.S. Lewis fans that I know. Anyway, I believe it because I believe that Christianity affirms it, especially the Pauline theology in Romans and Corinthians. Lewis co-ops that term Tao, T-A-O. He co-ops that term Tao from the wisdom of the East, where the Tao means the natural order of the universe from whose character one's intuition must discern Or realize the potential for individual wisdom. In other words, the universe is built in such a way that if you'll listen, it can speak to you. Do you believe that? Well, Lewis sort of anglicized or westernized or baptized the term Tao, using it to describe, quote, The doctrine of objective value, the belief that certain attitudes are really true and others are really false. The kind of thing the universe is and the kind of things that we are. Like a man is a man. A woman is a woman. A man is not a woman. The universe teaches that. Some of you may have participated in a reading group several years ago where one of the books that we read was The Abolition of Man. And obviously we can't read that together this afternoon. But as I mentioned, the central, one of the central ideas that, that Lewis advances is this idea of the Tao. An affirmation of the claim, listen, that there is a self-evident moral ecology grounded in human anthropology, and that that has been recognized in the world's most prominent cultures, even in non-Western societies. And Lewis asserts that we deny that at our peril. Because to do so fundamentally erases our identity as human beings. Uh, Hence the book's title, The Abolition of Man. But also... Because repudiation of that type of an unwritten universal moral code, listen, leaves us helpless in the face of those will-to-power types. Isn't it amazing that without instruction we so often know right from wrong? Find me a culture that says murder is good. There's not one. It's why, listen. It's why we hide our sins. We know they're wrong, and we don't want anyone to see. I remember an example, and I think I think Michael that this was from C.S. Lewis, but I'm not sure. But we've all experienced this. You come to a four-way stop, and all four cars are stopped. Who goes? Not rhetorical. Who goes? Huh? Whoever goes first. Who's supposed to go? Well, what if the last car that stopped pulls out first? You hope they don't hit you. Or the person who goes first. Road What do others do? When that one that stopped laughing, they honk. And why do they honk? Did he do something wrong? Yes. He did? How do you know? Because the law tells us what to do, and he directly um, applied the law. Does the law say that? Does it? I don't know. It's been too long time since I took the test. But listen... Whether the law says it or not, you know, don't you? That's not right. He didn't stop first. It was my turn to go. And we know. And we all know. And every single one of us knows. And we all know, or we all say, that's not right. That's not right. You're, what kind of a person are you? Right? Well, that's Lewis's Dow. That's the idea. You know. You know. You know a lot. And listen, it's also Paul's doctrine of God's righteous judgment against sin and degrees of punishment and universal guilt before the Almighty. The heavens declare the glory of God. Don't tell me you don't know there's a God. That's Paul's idea. That's foolishness. You can say you don't know and act like I'm so smart that I don't know that. But you know. And you know that you know. All men know some right from wrong. Some men know more. Amen? Some men know more and some less. But all know some and when you know right from wrong and you choose wrong it's It's like the fall in an Eden all over again and again and again. And you just prove that you're the son of your great, 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 great grandpappy. Some right and wrong, listen, some right and wrong we never think about. But functionally, it seems that our consciences or our consciousness... Of what we believe is right and wrong. Now I hope you see that how that functional definition immediately demands that our consciences need to be educated. don't don't you see that it just demands that? You see, if you believe if what you believe about right and wrong is not in agreement with God, listen. If what you believe about right and wrong is not in agreement with God, Paul tells us, uh, well, you could sin and it might not bother you. Can you imagine that? You could sin and it might not bother you. Paul tells us that he did exactly that. Paul, when he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, tells us that he murdered Christians. This was prior to his conversion. And he thought that he was doing God service. I mean, that's the only way that he could say that he was blameless before his conscience when he killed Christians. And he was. Listen, beloved, that is a massively misinformed conscience, isn't it? And that's the great Apostle Paul. He actually felt good about what he was doing. Those guys are lying. And they're getting away with it. Not on my watch. He thought it was being done for God. But after his conversion, when God knocked him off his high horse, his greatest shame, his greatest shame was that and he spent the rest of his days doing everything in his power to build up those that he had once sought to tear down, Christians. So, the Christian conscience must be instructed in the Word of God. The capital W Word of God, which is Jesus. I guess the lowercase Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, so we, we agree with the great reformer, Martin Luther, who said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Now, considering that functional definition, the conscience is your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. A really good thing to see is this friend, your conscience can change. Your conscience can change. It can learn things that it didn't know. And it can become conscious of them. And listen, it can forget things that it thought it knew were wrong. It can learn. It can be trained. Let me read you a couple of quotations from... One of my favorite books, Lewis's Mere Christianity, a book I return to again and again and again. Near the end of the book where he's addressing new converts, he says, Very often the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. This is why children's games are so important. You know they're always pretending to be grown-ups playing soldier, playing shop. But all the time, they're hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the pretense of being grown-ups helps them to grow up in earnest. Now, the moment you realize, here I am, dressing up as Christ, it's extremely likely that you will see at once some way in which at that very moment, the pretense could be made less of a pretense and more of a reality. You will find several things going on in your mind which would not be going on there if you were really a son of God. Well, stop them. Or you may realize that instead of saying your prayers, you ought to be downstairs writing a letter or helping your wife to wash up. Well, go and do it. You see what is happening? The Christ Himself... The Son of God, who is man, just like you, and God, just like His Father, is actually at your side. And is already, at that moment, beginning to turn your pretense into a reality. This is not merely a fancy way of saying that your conscience is telling you what to do. If you simply ask your conscience, you get one result. If you remember that you were dressing up as Christ, you get a different one. There are lots of things which your conscience might not call definitely wrong, especially things in your mind, but which you will see at once you cannot go on doing if you are seriously trying to be like Christ. For you are no longer thinking simply about right and wrong. You are trying to catch the good infection from a person. It's more like painting a portrait than obeying a set of rules. And the odd thing is it's that while in one way it's much harder than keeping rules, in another way it's far easier. The real Son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as Himself. He is beginning so to speak to inject His kind of life and thought, His zo, the Greek word for life, into you beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. The part of you that does not like it is the part that is still tin. He also says, the more you obey your conscience, the more your conscience will demand of you. Well, I'm going to stop there. Lord willing, I want to continue our study and... Lord willing, we'll discuss maybe next time, calibrating or training our consciences. But thoughts, questions, comments, observations? Jonathan? From where in mere Christianity did the little section you read off come from? Um about two-thirds through. I can tell you right after I've got I actually have the ebook on my phone so I can tell you right where it is thank you you're welcome if you, have, if you haven't read Mere Christianity I recommend it highly and if you have read it then I highly recommend it again mm-hmm. <laughs> but, other thoughts are we trying to live in good conscience in this world we are and we saw with our list that it's a not an insignificant topic in the New Testament. So we're going to keep talking about it for a little while, Lord, Lord willing.